0: Welcome to the Giving Gifts podcast, a place for real people to share real stories as they navigate using their gifts in this world. Heather Green is a special education advocate, teacher, mom of two little humans, a partner, a friend to Minnie, and a sister to me. If you would have told me 10 years ago that we would be recording this podcast, I would have probably laughed. Although we mostly grew up together, our lives have been pretty different from one another. Growing up Looking up to Heather often felt completely unattainable, but as an adult, watching Heather navigate her gifts is something I find myself in awe over. One of the hopes in this podcast is that as we learn to listen to one another, we will begin to challenge ourselves with questions and perspectives and stories that are different than our own. Learning to listen to people we don't know is sometimes easier than learning to listen to the people we think we know. Sometimes we become so familiar with people that we forget to continue to learn. Something I became aware of midway through this episode is the layers of story it holds. What you do, whether that's for a career or what you make, it's not who you are. But when you allow who you are to be transformed by love, by people, by committing to care deeply, even when it's difficult, something beautiful happens in that transformation.
1: I'm excited for you to get to share because I haven't had anyone who I've known, like who's known me my whole life and who I've known um which is fun and then also I think I think it really is true that when you grow up with people you often like don't know how to know that you know it's it's never really like a new person so you're never asking like why did you choose this or why are you doing this it's just kind of like oh Heather did this and that's all I've really known (laughs) so I think it kind of gives us a cool premise that I haven't gotten to experience, which is I know you, but I actually don't know maybe a lot of the behind the scenes of why for you. I don't think it will be very surprising for you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember when you were growing up? Was there ever anything you knew you wanted to do or be?
2: Well, when I was three, I said I wanted to be a stop sign. And when the teacher asked me why, I said, well, somebody has to do it. (laughs) um but besides that, I don't (laughs) yeah weird right and also like no nobody has to be a stop sign because you can just have a sign um (laughs) but no I I don't remember wanting to be anything particular I just know I always loved taking care of things like when I was little little I had dolls when Amy was born I treated her like a doll when you were born, I really treated you like a doll. (laughs) Like there was lots of like wanting to change your clothes and take you everywhere and feed you and hold you. And, um, and just thinking little things were so precious and I wanted to take care of them. Um, and then that just continued. Like I remember in middle school crying in a history class when we learned about like who knows what like kids who are in war-torn countries or you know what whatever it was but I think just feeling a lot of empathy and and nurturing instinct towards people especially children or people or things that felt helpless or like they weren't able to always advocate for themselves i guess um in in retrospect but yeah i being little even up until high school i don't think i would had something i thought i wanted to be when i grew up
1: yeah and then when you went to college i think it kind of shifted quite a bit a few times right cuz you i mean you got a lot of different interesting education
2: yeah yeah so i think um when i first got to college, I just wanted, I knew science and math wasn't my thing. um, And I knew that I wanted to like take a bunch of classes and see what I liked. And I loved anthropology and I loved sociology um, and I loved psychology, but like, I didn't think I wanted to be a therapist necessarily. And I was like, well, maybe I might want to go to law school because I went to Berkeley and everybody was going to go to law school and I was 18. Um, So I did a social welfare major because it allowed you to take classes from all of those areas and be like second person on the totem pole to take the sociology classes, like after the sociology majors. Um, And then in the social welfare classes, I was like, oh, like, wow. Like, I like this work. Like, this is amazing. And also I'm graduating with a lot of student debt and social workers don't make any money. So I'm going to have to make a different choice. Um, And then in grad school, I, or then I went to grad school that was fully paid for because I was studying um, higher education and student affairs. Um, And I liked that. And I got my first job and I didn't like it as much as I thought I would (laughs) Um, uh, it. I was serving students at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and it felt very administrative and very much like I was one of the least helpful resources that were available. Um, And like there wasn't a shortage of resources for those students, right? Like there was so many resources they didn't need anymore. Um, So when we moved to San Diego and Brian shifted careers we started kind of exploring what that might mean for me. And at that same time, um, we had a mutual, our friend had a son who had Down syndrome and I didn't have much going on. And so I would like bring meals and babysit. And I just thought he was magical. Like, I don't know that I had ever loved a child as much as I loved him up until that point. And I had a good friend who was teaching um, special education in San Diego and was like, you know, I think that there's a program just for the littles. And as, as this kiddo was going through um, the process of getting services, I found out that there's like an opportunity to be a teacher that makes like close to a living wage, as opposed to like other early childhood educators who, who make no dollars. Um, you, you make more of like a living wage with benefits than your typical preschool or early intervention support. Um, and, and that you could like focus just on birth to five. And I was like, this is a great idea. Um, so then I went back to school again for a credential and got that credential. And I thought I was gonna like want to serve kids in their home. I would, I like even said, I'm not the second semester. I'm like, yeah, student teaching's fine. I already know what I want to do. And I think I was, and they asked me if I wanted to teach in an autism classroom, and I was like, no. But if that's what's available, I need to not drive as much. And I think I was in there for three days before I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this is what I want to do. Like serving kids as a whole and, and providing them opportunities to learn from each other and supporting plans that bleed over into home while also having an opportunity to really control the instruction in this environment. And I just loved it. Um, I love teaching, but I never thought I wanted to be a teacher when I grew up.
1: <laughs> hmm. I'm curious. Uh. So from going to the like the environments you grew up into to going to Berkeley, which I th- is that considered an Ivy League school? I would consider it. I don't <laughs> I, know, but
2: <laughs> no, not technically because it's a public school, but it's considered a very, very, very good school.
1: Yeah. Right. And then going to you know, like another school and seeing that environment and those resources to then kind of ending up in education again, you've seen this education system serve a lot of people and then also fail a lot of people. I'm just curious of how you kind of process through that. Yeah. I mean, I think I really
2: hope, and believe that education is going to shift, um, I feel like it has to, uh, especially our post-secondary college environment. Um, it just costs too much, right? Like, it, it's a bubble that that has something has to give. Um, you cannot spend $200,000 on an education to sign up for a job that's going to make you $60,000 a year. Like, we're our, I paid so much less than people are paying now. Right. Um, and, and so I hope it will shift. I believe it will shift because of finances. I hope it will shift because I believe what we learned during COVID is that our current system is only serving this particular range of folks, um, from birth to post-secondary right like you have to have certain strengths and a certain profile in order for you to be served well in the education system as it stands um and i think that covid made that even tighter right like there were lots of people on the edges who made it work who can't anymore or don't want to because this other system worked better for them um and so, so I think I, I spend a lot of time hoping and wondering how that will shift and change because I don't believe it's the best system. Um, and I try since I am most kids first experience with school and most parents first experience with school to really set a clear bar and tone based on what's happening in my classroom right so the language that i use um, the things that i focus on what i tell parents that they should expect how teaching them how to communicate with educators um and how to advocate for their kiddos um i tr- i try and tell them like when they're like oh it's been a great experience in here but it's cuz you're special i try and say like i'm not like this is how It should be, this is, when your child is in a classroom, they should be making progress and their needs should be met. Hmm. Um, And so I think uh, like my big picture idea of what needs happen in education is a lot of just like cognitive reading articles, like in my head, I don't know how I'm helping that in the big picture yet. but I, my boots on the ground approach is that every year I have 20 kids, four staff members, and 20 families who I can shift. And then hopefully as they move forward, they will shift and it will be like the ripple effect, right?
1: Right. That's the hope. And do you feel like you had that experience with your own personal education? Like, do you think that you had people and teachers who were advocating throughout your education? Yes, but I also am so
2: privileged um, in that I am exactly the type of person who the education system was designed for. Um, I flew through it learning and thriving with not even all of my effort. School has... N- never been hard I've always felt really good at it um it is where my strengths lie so I wasn't someone that needed to be advocated for so much because it just happened for me right um I was a pleasure to have in class so like on every report card so teachers you know would go out of their way to like give me things that were interesting and I it was so rewarding for me to be the good student that even if something was boring to me or I wasn't being challenged, I just engaged appropriately because it was rewarding for me to be a good student.
1: Hmm. Which is very interesting because, uh, well, I guess we only went to the same, did we go to the same junior high? Mm -hmm. We went to the same junior high and we went to the same high school for a well, I went to the same high school as you for a little bit of time, and I had the polar opposite experience. So it's it's just interesting, I think, to think about how uh, the educational system is really set up for a very specific type of person. And it doesn't even necessarily have always have to do with the family dynamic, because you can come from the same family. Not to say we had any family resources <laughs> to set us up well, but it like just from the way you engaged and interacted in class and the way you were able to find your, your place in that. I mean, you had a totally different experience actually in the same systems, which is very interesting, right? I, I like to think about Wilson as a perfect example of that because you were on a different track completely Like your classes were even located differently than where my classes were. I mean, we were there very many years apart. But it was almost like because you exceeded educationally, you were set apart immediately. I mean, I I even think about
2: people who were the same year as me or exactly the year behind me who had a lot of the same, everything about them match and their experience was so different. Mm. I would even argue that for some people that I know who had like markedly different experiences, their skill level was the same. Like what their strengths were, were the same, but because of whatever other circumstances and, and a little personality pieces, like their experience was completely different. So it, it is most people are not served by the system and the people who are thriving in the system probably would be successful in a different, more inclusive system too.
1: Mm-hmm. Which I find interesting. And I love that you're in the educational system still right now because you are able to advocate even though you didn't have the same experience for the individuals you're choosing to advocate for which often i think the only people advocating are people who get it you know who have gone through something or are understand it from a specific perspective but you have are able to see okay i can i can achieve this i can be this and <laughs> i can empathize with the person who can't and I think that that's like a unique posture to have. I'm just curious, like where that, where that came from, you kind of shared, but how have you developed that? Like what keeps you in that space of wanting to advocate for, I mean, at this point, kids, but even families who don't fit into that the educational system? I think um,
2: like all... Well, I think most people who become advocates, it comes from a place that's personal, right? So for some people, it's their own experience. But for me, it's the people that I love, right? Like I have fallen in love with a lot of my students and a lot of their families. Um, I had a student, gosh, he's in... Oh my gosh, he's in seventh grade, sixth grade, sixth or seventh grade now. Um, And I had him when he was three. And so much amazing growth happened for him in preschool um, that his parents became our best friends. Like they are, we moved into the neighborhood they live in, right? Like, um, and so when you love people, I I think that sometimes it's easier to advocate for other people than it is yourself. Right. So it is easy for me to go to bat and, and push and risk for kids that I love, Mm -hmm. because that's what it feels like it would, it feels almost unethical not to right? Like it certainly wouldn't align with my values, not to. And then I think the other piece in that is just, you don't know what you don't know. And I am really committed to always learning. Um, My classroom has changed every year I've taught. I'm in my 10th year, how I approach parents, uh, the language that I use, even like, You know, my whole class program is built, was designed and built on a curriculum that now, in the last two or three years, has been really questioned by folks who are in the autistic and neurodivergent community. Um, And I have listened to the podcasts and read the articles and read the Reddit threads because there's no books yet. And and I've changed things, you know, I, I'm not, I am using pieces of it, but I'm reshaping how I'm using it. I'm completely changing how I train parents on it. Um, and that's like been a big shift. I have to train my staff on how to use it differently too. Right. Um, and then this is something that I like wanted in every classroom five years ago. And so I think that part of it For me, like staying engaged with it comes from the fact that what we know is changing so quickly and when we know better, we can do better, but there's not a lot of space embedded in the educator experience to know better. Like you're not really rewarded for learning more or doing different Um, And so it feels like at least now that while I'm in a space where that is just feels natural to me and important to me and the people that I love and that I'm around um, are also invested in that information and that I have kids that I know that are now needing support in the middle school level. And I'm like thinking about, okay, so what can I be doing in preschool to prepare families and kids for what that looks like and what can I be thinking about when I'm talking to the district about why we're doing that so that they can make changes hopefully all the way up
1: in a lot of ways I think you've entered you've you've made your classroom not just a safe place for kids but like for the whole family and you poured more love into these kids I mean like you said you love these kids these kids this is not just you know your job where you go and you check out a lot of times you're thinking about them after work and years later even um and then four years ago you you almost four years ago you became a mom I'm curious of how that so having a classroom, loving these kids and pouring into them constantly, and then having your own kids has kind of shifted your perspective on your job or on life, or just in general, I think that I'd be curious to hear about more of your experience with that. Yeah, I mean, mostly
2: my type A has become like a C minus. <laughs> um, I uh, I. You just can only do what you can do in the hours that you have. Um, I think one big thing is that I am like way, and I've always, I'm a pretty emotional person, but I'm like much more emotional about my students. And because I just think all the time, like as much as I love them, they are somebody's Oliver. Or they are somebody's Lolo. Like they're someone loves them as intensely as I love my babies, and I ha- I have to take care of them accordingly because they're handing, they're putting all this faith in me. I you know I dropped Olya at gymnastics camp today, and like you don't walk them back, you just like drop them off, and he's never been there before, and he looked really bewildered, and I just have to hope that someone there is a mom. That's remembering that like, however much they love their baby, like Ollie's someone's baby too, who's really loving him and wondering at him, wondering at home all day, like, is he happy? Is he feeling nervous? Does he know where the potty is? Like all of those things. Um, so I think it's, it's made that love a little bit more intense. Um, and you know, like all new parents, like there's the inadequacy piece, like there's lots of things that I haven't been able to do in my classroom that I want to do. Um, but fortunately for me, the timing of when I had kids is that, you know, I taught for six years, I had a good foundation. And so I knew, I knew that like, if I didn't do this new curriculum or didn't create this new art project or the cutest folders didn't go home, um, or I didn't have a great PowerPoint for the workshop, that that stuff, while feels good and valuable to me, was not nearly as important as showing up, loving the kids well, knowing them well, and helping their families be supported, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I just, you know, for most of my life, I've been like, okay, what are the eight to 10 most important things? And then all the other stuff that will just happen if I have time. And in this season, I'm like, what are the one or two most important things and whatever's left isn't going to happen. Right. And so, you know, I haven't put away my laundry in two months,
1: but I'm on the floor (laughs) playing. I'm on the
2: floor playing with my kids every day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And
2: building train train trains, building train sets, (laughs) um, because they'll come downstairs delighted about it. Right. So I think um anyone who knew me prior to kids i think feels a little shocked when they like walk into my bedroom or um you know see kind of the chaos and mess that doesn't feel comfortable to me or that i don't like but i've done weeks where i'm like oh this week i'm going to stay on top of everything and at the end of the week I feel less anxious about my house, but I feel so disconnected from my family, and this time just goes by too fast. And if I can love the kids in my classroom well and love my family well, then that is my best hope at making a difference in the world. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. And you, you talked about always being a learner. I think that's a big piece of what makes you. Um, so valuable in the positions you hold. So whether that's a mom or a wife or a friend or a teacher or an advocate, I mean, just being able to learn, right? And learn from everyone. I think that's something I've noticed from you is like, you're not just learning from the people who hold the degrees you hold and you know are quote unquote respectable. You're also learning from the little people in your life. Like, I mean, the- li- Like Ollie. I mean, I think that that's something I'm curious. How would you, yeah. What would you say has been something you've learned from your almost four-year-old? Oh yeah. All the things. Um,
2: Gosh, he's just magical. Um, I have learned about curiosity and the value in, you know, I always ask I I was a question asker and I still am, but I'd stop after two questions, but Ollie will go until there's no choice, but for the conversation to end. He has infinite curiosity um, and infinite capacity to try and collect information, even if he can't absorb it. Like it's almost like for him, it's, I will go through 50 tidal waves, even if I only get a drink from each one. Whereas I think most people are like, well, if I'm only going to have a drink, I'll just go get a cup and have a drink. I don't need to like go through the tidal wave, but always like, well, listen, if I get the same amount in my mouth as you would in the cup, but also maybe there's some in my skin and some in my ears, (laughs) like that's worth going through the tidal wave for, right? Like, and I think that is just I I don't always have the energy to do that, but to watch it and, and to sometimes choose to engage in the world that way, I think is really valuable. Um, and I've also learned from him that joy is contagious. Like most people can't be around him without being delighted.
1: I think that's very, very, very true. Over the last, like since COVID, honestly. I think since COVID and people kind of had to slow down and pay attention to what was happening in the world, some people for the first time in their lives. Um what I hear a lot from people is that they're just really tired. They're tired of hearing bad news, they're tired of hearing about the issues and the systems, and they're tired about hearing about groups of people being left out and they're tired. And I sometimes get really defensive when people say that because it's often people who haven't been fighting for things their whole lives. And then I realize that being tired isn't something that's deserved or non-deserved. It's just (laughs) relevant. So I'm trying, I'm trying to shift that mindset in myself that it's okay for people to, to be tired. Um, and for you as a person who's constantly been fighting for kids, but also for just people. I mean, you and I have had some really good conversations about um, racism in the, in the, in systematic settings. We've talked about um, gender equality and the LGBTQ community and problems within the church and outside the church and just in general in our world there's a lot that I think you're really aware of that you've been learning about and choosing to advocate for I'm curious of how you handle that and if you ever just feel tired and how you handle being tired
2: yeah Um, so when I think about the whole being tired thing, I think about the grief circles, um, where you, the dump in dump out. Have you heard that before? Yeah. So the idea that like at the center of any tragedy, there are the people most impacted. And then there's an outer ring of people that are Impacted a lot, but less than the inner ring, and it goes out and out and out. And the idea is that when you're in any sort of tragedy or stressor, to like figure out where you fall <clears throat> in in rotating the nucleus of that tragedy, um, and make sure that you're always pouring in and dumping out. Um, And I, you know, I think that that's so applicable to the big world stuff too. So as a white, middle-class, heterosexual, cisgender woman, I have a tremendous, educated, um, neurotypical, all those things. I I have an enormous amount of privilege. And so oftentimes, when you're talking about um, oppression of a given group in the nucleus, I am pretty far out from that. Right. So I try to pour in and dump out. Right. So, um, f- fortunately for me, I have a straight heterosexual, uh, male who has even more privilege than I do as a partner. So he gets a lot of my dumping out. <laughs> um, but I think, I think it's, if you're tired, and you have the privilege of being able to step away, it is your responsibility to rest and then jump back in. Mm -hmm. So yes, I feel tired. So I take rest. I recognize that there is an enormous amount of privilege that allows me to not read the news for a week or to not consciously think about X, Y, or Z when I go to the store or when I do whatever. Um, But I also know that the system isn't gonna change because I'm martyring myself by like doing everything, even though I'm exhausted. Like I, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so I'm gonna love well and serve well if I'm resting. And so I think it feels like a responsibility to me to know what fills my cup and to ask for help, um, and hire help where I can, which is another privilege, right? Like to do the things I need to do to have the energy to keep on keeping on.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think you represent a voice of a, of a lot of people. I mean, of moms, of little ones, of teachers, of someone who's always learning, growing and supporting others, um, to be able to recognize the need for rest and the need for support which is something i think um society hasn't done a really great job on on is really sh- showing each other what support means and looks like and that we don't really rely on each other very often for anything right so when you do need something from someone it's like how do you even begin asking for that and what does that even look like and a lot of people might feel like they don't even have somebody outside of maybe their partner to ask for help with life, you know? So um, what is something that you just wish others knew about when it came to supporting you? And this is for you, but I think you're, again, you're representing a, a whole bunch of people by being a mom, by being a teacher, by being somebody who is wanting to learn and advocate for people, yeah, what does it look like to support you? I think, and this is, um,
2: I think is true for anyone um, and is something that I am so lucky that the people who I've surrounded myself with now do this well. So I feel tremendously supported most of the time, um, which is most of the time, I don't know what I need. So just show up and do something or offer something. You know, when you were here, I would have never thought to ask you to go grocery shopping. And the amount of stress that that relieved for us during the week and the time that it freed up. And even the like accountability of doing my grocery lists at a time when I wouldn't have normally done it, which means it was off my mental load so much earlier um was huge. Um you know when someone says you know you're having a surgery or you're having a baby can I set up a meal train? Yes. Like like I think you don't know what to ask for. But if there's something that you can do for someone just offer cuz it will probably help. Right? Like the grocery shopping the uh, when when the kids are playing in the backyard and we're with the neighbors and the neighbor says, "Hey, why don't you go home?" They're happy, right? You get something done for an hour. Um, it's those little pockets of, or, hey, I'd really like you to be able to go on a date this month. What day can I take the kids for you? Um, I'm running here. What can I pick up? And and again, there is some responsibility on me or you as the person to be willing to accept that help. Um, and I think it having Ollie Um, And having so many complications postpartum physically required me to do that. And now I'm really good at it. Like between all the surgeries (laughs) and all the things I'm like, oh yeah. Like when Logan was born, I was like, yep, I need someone to come here. Yes. You can come and cut up fruit for Ollie for the week. That would be great. Like, yep. I'm going to need someone to drive me to the ER because like, Brian has to stay with the baby and Brian has a fever. So can someone else come over and feed the baby the milk that someone else donated because I'm not making enough, you know, all those things. Um, But it took me a long time to get there. And now because I'm willing to accept help, people just offer it. I had a good friend call me a couple months ago and say, hey, I'm not doing anything today. I'm going to come over and put away the boys laundry. What time do you want me to do that? And I was like, uh, whenever you want, because I haven't put away <laughs> their laundry in two weeks. Good luck with that. It's going to take you all day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that you, you brought up a really valid point, though, is um, you don't always know what you need. And then when the opportunity comes up to be supported, you also have to be willing to accept it. And often that looks like being a little vulnerable and lending people into their dirty laundry where the laundry's not done. Right. Or the refrigerator is just a disaster or, you know, all the things that as people, we try to like make look neat different. Yeah. You just are out there <laughs> and saying, it's not, it's not neat. It's not okay. And support looks like just sometimes being in the midst of that with people. So most of the time, I think
2: that's what support looks like. If everything is neat and tidy, you probably don't need that as much support in the moment. <laughs> I mean, and I mean everything, right? Like not right. just the outside stuff, but the inside, If like, you're feeling neat and tidy. Maybe it's your time to go support somebody.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a very valid point too, is that, you know, part of the reason you have so many people show up to support you is because in the times where You didn't need that as much. You were able to do that for other people too. I think that's an important thing to remember that we have to be people who are giving and receiving. What is just one part of who you are, like one quality that you would just say you're proud of when it comes to just who you are as a person? I think I love people well. Yeah, I think I love people well. I think
2: I try and love people the way I teach kids, which is to know what makes you feel loved, what serves you, and then to really aggressively insert myself into your life and do that even if you're not interested or available.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for just sharing this. I'm just thinking like, to me, this is just kind of crazy because especially I think over the last five years, four, four years, maybe four or five years, I've just gotten to see how much um, of who you are, I value and honestly try to reflect, which is crazy to me because I think I tried for so long to be like opposite of you. I mean, I didn't have to try very hard that a lot of that just came extremely natural. Right. But I mean, it is just pretty crazy to think like you, you know, while you were doing really well in school, I was doing absolutely terribly. And it would frustrate you because it was like, how how is this so different? How are these people so completely different? I mean, from even just what we look like to how we respond to things to our demeanors were just very different. and then to come to a place in life where it's like, hey, actually, I really value so much of who you are. And I try to um, imitate a lot of those behaviors of just being able to love people well. And so I think that it's just really cool to see. You loved you loved my family very well last week. <laughs> um, yeah, and, it's just cool to see that kind of full circle uh, yeah. and to just, yeah. Thanks. I think-
2: I think it's cool too. And I think, you know, it six years is not a lot apart now, but when I left for college, like you were like prepubescent, right? Like, like (laughs) neither one of our brain, like who we were, there were pieces of who we were, but like, I tell people all the time, I'm so thankful that I met a partner when I was closer to being like formed into who I was because I got to be formed, not just by one person, right? Like it was all these experiences that formed me because I don't really think I was settled into myself until my late twenties, early thirties. Right. Um, so, so maybe the things that were different weren't the permanent pieces of us and maybe the things that are the same are the things because I think Amy has a lot of those same things too um that are the same and I I just wonder if if maybe those are the parts that were really always there and that all the other stuff was just stuff that we were all growing in or out of right
1: right well and also A lot of it was survival mentalities and everyone survives a little differently. So when you had a lot of, you know, that's what I learned a lot about is that we had a lot of people just trying to survive and, and how you survived was very differently than how I survived. You didn't inventory your closet
2: to, to make your anxiety feel better.
1: (laughs) I don't think I ever put anything in the closet.
2: (laughs) I probably have a list somewhere of what was in my closet at every address that we ever lived at. So,
1: yeah. And if anything started challenging your, uh, your need to control things, it was me. So <laughs> yeah, but like, can thank me for that one. <laughs> Oliver can thank you for
2: that because I, I did all the wrong things.
1: <laughs> like, I mean, I was
2: too little, right. To like do the right things, but like, you know. I, I, every day, multiple times a day, look at him and I say, you are who you are. It is my job to keep your body safe and make sure you feel loved. Jones, Jones, Jones. Can you tell me a joke? I said, FNAF peel with apples. If I eat FNAF peel breakfast, I'll eat it, throw candles, poop it on my head, and no
0: Poopy and bums. I eat my girlfriend's breakfast, we have and TVs. Oh, Cuckoo Pie. Thanks for listening to the Giving
2: Gifts. Like, share, and subscribe. This show is the shit. Spread some love and joy. Know that you're giving.